for a generation that has undergone things that are beyond their control. And as much as they try to make a change, you even with the best of intentions and all of your awareness and skills, you hit a wall, right? That is the nature of a fallen world, that all of your activism only goes so far. And then there is still brokenness and there's pain and hurting. And what do you do with all of that when you've given it your A plus effort? And that's what grief and like lamentation is for for sure, like Gen Z, you are on to something. Absolutely. That not just you want to learn how to grieve and lament well, but this is, that is biblical and it is good. And that is something we all need. So hats off to you. This is Jane Wilcox and you are listening to Shaklesiology, Girls Talking Church. Tell your girls a story, I won't tell you a lie. Anything you want, you can do it just fine. Come on. In this episode, Chrisanne leads the She Team in a conversation on how Generation Z will change the church of the future. We base our discussion on survey results completed by about 50 high school to 25-year-olds within this demographic. Our conversation explores topics of greatest concern to Gen Z, including diversity, mental health, acceptance, a welcoming church, and creating spaces for grief and lamentation. We can't wait to share with you some of the results we've pulled directly from the survey. So here we go. So, Chrisanne, you're going to take the lead in our discussion tonight. So start out with telling the listeners a bit about yourself and maybe maybe your favorite latest something, maybe a book or a podcast or a favorite anything. Sure thing. So I studied youth and congregational ministry in college. And my first full-time ministry gig was as youth pastor at Souderton Mennonite Church. My husband and I started our family. So I had two young kids. So my day job then was mom. Um, But I went to school for my MDiv at night and on the weekend. And it was through that school. It was called Biblical Seminary at the time. And it was the campus was in Hatfield. And it was through that school that I met Jane. And then our family joined her family in relaunching this little church down in Levittown, Highland Park Community Church. And I worked with her for a little over three years. We used to joke around that our husbands were the pastor's wives. So that was a fun joke. Um, but they, that they uh, carried very well. They did. They did carry that yeah. very well. <laughs> and that was really cool for me because I had never seen a female lead pastor functioning up close, let alone worked under her. So that was really cool for me as a female to uh, work with Jane as the lead pastor. And I uh, really cool and really healing for me, I think in those years. Mm -hmm. But after about three years of that, um, I was contacted about a missional experiment at Doylestown Mennonite Church. This is a 300 plus year old church that realized they had become very insulated and disconnected from their neighborhood. So they set aside a team of people that I was part of and some funds to do missional experiments in the neighborhood. One of those being a community garden. So now 20 plus people from the neighborhood um, come to the church grounds and grow vegetables. Another thing that happened was our sewing circle sort of shut down in the church, but now two women run it out of their home and they invite their neighbors 
And they talk about how these comforters that they're making go toward global relief efforts with Mennonite Central Committee. Um, but yeah, it's kind of an outreach now out of their home. One of the men in our church got really involved in disc golf. And he, he makes his faith a natural part of those relationships. He just talks to the guys, offers to pray for them. Um, and that has kind of become his missional project. I've been at Doylestown now for 11 years. Um, now I work in the church office. I'm in charge of our communications administration. We have a whole bunch of support groups and empowerment groups from the community that use our building. So I sort of administrate that relationship between our church as the host and these groups that use our facilities. Um, and I coordinate worship and I preach once a month. What's a favorite? My favorite pastime lately has been um, coloring mandalas. Kind of a, it's a brain disconnect. I can be so much in my head, just thinking, thinking, thinking about things. And for me, you know, I pick my five or six colors for that mandala and I just go, I just color. It's very relaxing. Okay. Why did you want to do a topic, an episode on Gen Z in the church? Besides the fact that between the four of us, we either have Gen Z kids or stepkids for Jen, still her kids, uh, and then Kim, whose ministry is primarily Gen Z. So, uh, And Kim, would you consider yourself Gen Z or are you a millennial? I am squarely a millennial. Jen has clarified, not Jen, Jane has clarified this like three times to like triple check. But yeah, close, close but no cigar. Okay. I, I would not be accepted as one of their own. Oh, okay. Okay. Good to know. Well, I am very interested in this topic because those two kiddos, they are now um, teenagers and are obviously Gen Z. Um, and I have watched them grow up with quite a bit of fascination. Um, um, the world of social media, smartphones, um, and also growing up a pastor's kid myself, I've also watched with fascination as these, these two have, how they've navigated those pressures, that kind of fishbowl dynamic, you know, the pastor's family gets watched differently, a little closer maybe. Um, and so I have questions about them. What are they learning about faith from me and their dad? What are they learning at church about faith um, in the atmosphere of our daily life together as a family and how will they choose to follow Jesus is one mm. of my questions. Um, and will they stay engaged in church as adults when they leave home? And then as a pastor, I wonder if we, the church are speaking to their unique needs and areas of concern. Mm. Um, I wonder about their unique strengths and if, if we're leveraging them for the kingdom and the gospel, and if not, how could we so yeah, as a mom and as a pastor, I, I just have some, some interest and some questions. Nice. And we're going to talk about them. So uh, we sent out a poll uh, specifically to Gen Z's mm -hmm. uh, that Chris Ann and I uh, crafted and designed based on some statistics. Uh, so Chris Ann, you want to lead us through the pairing of the statistics with these questions, and we're just going to spend some time making some observations about their answers and maybe some ahas or oohs or ah along <laughs> the way and uh, just see what surfaces in this first part of the episode. Yeah, yeah. We got 52 responses to our survey. Um, nice. So that was interesting. 
I basically broke it into seven questions. Um, so we'll post sources in our show notes for our listeners. Um, let's start with question one. We asked uh, Gen Z to rate the Christian church on the difference it makes in the world. And uh, one being a negative difference, <laughs> three being really no difference, and five being a positive difference. So one to five were their choices. Statistic that this came out of was we noticed that 70% um, of this generation say that they want to make a difference in the world, that that's a high value for them. Yeah. Um, they're feeling pretty ambitious about that. So we wondered what they would say. Um, so I noted in looking at the responses that about 53% of our responders thought the church makes a positive difference, but no difference or negative difference, if you put those two together, is 47%. So pretty evenly split, which I thought was interesting. I was actually really surprised that no one voted a one. No one said that the, like the church was like really terrible because I feel like even within the church, you can cite some like pretty terrible things like the Crusades or, you know, like pick another history, you know, history example. I'm sure Jane has a plethora of them, but either, so either there's something where they see some sort of value or they don't know enough about the overall historical global impact of the church to make such a claim or someone was afraid to really put that one down. I, I, I want to believe, I will get into the rest of the results because some people had some fiery things to say. Like some of our, some people uh -huh. did not hold back to which we are thankful for because that felt raw and honest. But I felt like a, putting a one down and being like the church yeah. made a terribly negative difference would have also been very raw and honest and nobody went there right out of the gate. Yeah. So what was the number, what was the percentage again that, that chose four? meaning made a positive impact. It was pretty high, wasn't it? It's the highest. Yeah, it Not was 46. 46. 46. Oh. This is what I was thinking. I would have expected, and maybe if we didn't choose um, church Gen Zers, that that number would have been a little lower. So mm -hmm. I feel like that it's fair because they're, they are churched and we would expect that. Um, but I, I was surprised about how high, that, how high that is, given their propensity to really desire to make an impact, a positive impact in the world. I thought they would sort of critique the church and saying you have you haven't done very well. But mm -hmm. surprisingly, and I thought too the news about the church since COVID, Trump, mm. and and now with the kind of unveiling of you know everyone from Mark Driscoll to Ravi Zacharias to Bill Hybels to the Houstons with Hillsong, there's been this great unveiling of all the, oh, the Southern Baptist convention. There's been this unveiling of all this abuse of power and sexual abuse and inappropriate relationships. I, yeah, I really thought it would be more negative mm -hmm. than it was. But to be fair, the very lowest category is people who picked five who like absolutely believe that the church is not a positive thing in the world. So yeah. Uh, question two was, is a welcoming church attractive to you? And then question three, we asked, when you hear that a church is welcoming, what does that mean to you? Um, and this uh, question, these two questions came out of the statistic that this is the most racially, theologically, ethnically, sexually, gender-wise, the most diverse generation we've ever seen. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually did not write down the exact percentages, but um, 
yeah, multiple of the articles that we read said this is the most diverse generation yet. So we wondered how that, how they would respond to a question about a welcoming church and what that might mean to them. Of course, there was no way for us to know those that selected no, they were not attracted to, or they would not be attracted to a welcoming church. We did not sort of dig to, in to find out why would you say no? Yes. Well, full disclosure, Jane and I are not qualified <laughs> to write a truly scientific true. survey. <laughs> true. 100% true. I think the word that jumped out at me uh, throughout the short answer responses to that question was accepting. Yep. Um, they valued acceptance, not just welcome. So it's fine mm -hmm. if you want to smile at me when I walk in, although there was some uh, very well-deserved cynicism, which I share, by the way, even though I'm proud Gen Xer, um, there was some very well-deserved cynicism for the whole, you know, front door greeter, coffee person. Um, but, but most of them were like, fine, you can have that, whatever. Uh, but it's more about what happens after I get in there. And, um, it's, it's about a broader, um, a broader value of acceptance. And of course, to your point, Chrisanne, that goes, many of them specifically named, um, factors for which they would want to be accepted, um, which I think is helpful. Um, everything from race and sexuality to just the generic um, idea of background. For, in other words, maybe I've been churched before, maybe I haven't, maybe I um, have, have a strong belief system, maybe this is new to me. Um, and I think that's, I think there's stuff to explore there because I think most churches, it'd be interesting to do a counter survey of how churches perceive themselves on some of these factors, because I think many churches would consider themselves welcoming mm -hmm. um, because yeah. they've got the coffee yeah. um, and the donut ministry. Have you ever noticed you can call anything, you can spiritualize anything if you put the word ministry after it? Yes. My parents' church has a donut <laughs> ministry. I'm like, yeah, let's give everybody diabetes and obesity. That's really helpful. <laughs> When you say it like um, that, first of all, I'm on board. And then you said it like that. I'm like, never mind. Jen can continue to thought. <laughs> but I mean, I, I've, now I've totally lost my old train of thought. Um, <laughs> but I think that th that it's about, um, you know, how are people going to interact with me when they really get to know me? And are they even going to try to get to know me? Or is that yes. not part of the experience? And mm -hmm. so what I was saying was, I, I think it would be interesting to see churches rate themselves on this. Um, because I think many of them would give themselves a very high score on welcoming. Um, I'm not sure how many of them would give themselves a high score on accepting probably more than actually are accepting would be my hunch. Yeah. Um, and that begs the definition of terms too, which maybe some yes. of you guys can help me explore, but, but that was what jumped out to me from the answers. I, I noticed in the comments, a lot of longing for connection. Like there was, you know, talk, talk to me, ask me about my life, be genuinely interested in what I'm interested in. And, and this sense too, that they can tell when there's a hidden agenda, like a little gotcha, um, to our initiating relationships. Yeah. I feel like if we had a dollar for every time someone used the word accepting in this question, uh, we could definitely start donut ministry, um, to help, you know, fix this problem, but uh, yeah, I think to like Chrisanne's point, it's that being known. And so mm -hmm. I think this is this is a statistic that has come up multiple times in 
some of the um, pieces we were reading about this generation being the loneliest generation that like 69% of Gen, like Gen Zers polled, polled being lonely, which is I think yeah. somewhere between 20 to 25% higher than like the median average of lonely people in America. And so this makes a lot of sense given that context that you don't want to just be seen on the outside. You do that all the time. Like the bus driver can greet you. It doesn't mean you feel any less lonely because they wave and say hello. And so church, therefore, it sounds like looking for one more step of like that yeah. being known. And I think so many of them, um, you know, speaking to Gen not Gen, Gen Z's, um, just being so conscious about uh, diversity a lot mm -hmm. of them mentioned that it's not just accepting of themselves. That's not the way the answers are phrased. It's accepting of all people and then listing all of the criteria from yeah. race and sexual orientation, socioeconomic status. Uh, and so it was a really interesting way to phrase it because I would be expecting more of them to frame it maybe like in specifics themselves or make it a little bit more personal. And it is, it's a personal answer. But a lot of it was also oriented, but like, and for everyone else too. It's like, mm -hmm. hey, you can't just be accepting and welcoming of one person. You have, it's got to be everyone. Like everyone's coming in the front door on Sunday morning. Yep, yep. And they're, and they're watching, they're noticing. Yeah. I think it's also helpful. I don't think you mentioned the percentage, Chrisanne, and just for the sake of our listeners, 86.5% said yes, a welcoming church was attractive. So to me, um, and again, we didn't, we didn't, dig into it. So who knows, but my guess is that the other 13 or so percent either weren't going to be attracted to a church regardless. Right. Um, so it's really not a factor of welcoming and acceptance. It's more a factor of they're not going to go to a church. The, the strong majority, um, if, if it was accepting and welcoming on the terms that they found helpful, they would be interested in it. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there are two responses short answer um, responses that caught my attention because I think they indicated or signaled um, something outside of the Sunday morning. Yeah, sure. Uh, is your church welcoming? Um, mm -hmm. Is someone greeting you at the door? Is someone saying something kind or at least wanting to get to know you? But, but this, I'm going to read part of this answer because it was fascinating to me. They say, Two thoughts or experiences come to mind. First is the church that has greeters at the door who say welcome, but there is little or no relationship there, which we've been already alluding to. These churches can seem fake or superficial to me and are less attractive. Second is the church that is truly hospitable and invites me into the everyday lives of the people leading and attending. This church feels very attractive because it feels like I am known and loved in reality. Oh my gosh, by the way, that just totally hits me in the heart, right? Mm -hmm. The longing to be known and loved as they truly are, as they really are. Mm -hmm. um, to me, that was signaling a relationship that is outside of Sunday morning because we've set up this paradigm, it's the obligation to be welcoming for whatever strings that we may have attached to it. We do do better when we are intentional about connecting with them relationally outside of Sunday morning, because then it's just our time. We are giving them our time, our attention, mm -hmm. capacity to listen. Um, so that struck me. The other one, uh, and I've heard this before. I think it's, it's, it, it transcends trans 
uh, generations. Um, getting called out by the pastor during service or made to stand up will automatically make it so that I will never willingly come back. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Duly noted. They want to be known. They do not want to be known as you're new and everyone's going to flock to you afterwards because you're new. Does that it, even yeah, and work? It, it's objectifying, right? It makes them an mm. object. Like, Would you say new person? Like, does that even work? Like, wouldn't that be even more terrible? Like, let's say that's let's say in a church's welcoming scheme, that was their way of identifying new people. But imagine acknowledging in front of like all of these strangers that you're new, and then no one still comes and says hello to you Ooh, or tries to connect you. That. Even worse. That that's why I'm like, that. does this still happen? Do people still do this? No, no shade. If you do, I'm just curious how that's working for all y'all out there in the no, church. No, we would not do that. No, but I've been, it's not been all that long ago when I've been to a church, if we were visiting. Okay, maybe it's been a little longer, but I think some folks would still consider that a legitimate way that they, they really believe that they are welcoming folks in, helping them transition to being known. It, it's, I think it's just a misread on certain kinds of personalities that would be, they will willingly never return, right? Mm-hmm. Super fair. I even get uncomfortable, and I think it's just our congregation wanting to be very welcoming to new people. I even get uncomfortable when we do the benediction, and then I watch. It's like a beeline for the new people. There's like a mm. horde. I mean, well, I say a horde. It might be like four or five people that just make a beeline for the new person. I'm like, oh, please don't overwhelm them. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I love that you, you want to welcome them, but... Don't. Yeah, and it, it's, it's truly authentic that they really do. I'm, mm -hmm. I, I, you know, they they really do want Absolutely. to connect with them. It's it's but like think... being culturally unaware. Go ahead. Sorry, Jen. Go ahead. No, I'm sorry. Um, but I think I remember our experience at at our small church in in Pennsylvania, and the same thing happened there. I think part of it is just a function of being on the smaller side because new people are more noticeable than at, at a larger mm -hmm. church. I don't think the people are more or less friendly given the size of church. Um, but I do think some people are going to be weirded out by that regardless. But I think when it is genuine and kind, kindly meant, I think that goes a long way too. So mm -hmm. while we certainly don't want to embarrass people or call them out or make them feel objectified, you know, a kind older person making a point of welcoming a younger person, I can't see how that's ever going to go astray or mm -hmm. land wrong if it's done with thoughtful spirit. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think there's a difference between that and some of, some of the more um, um, performative um, things that I, that's what I saw coming up in the answers was don't have somebody give me a fake smile and handshake at the door on mm -hmm. the way in and then not even speak to me or bother to, you know, that's different from, well, somebody who sat in a row in front of me made a point of saying they were glad to meet me. Like that's, that's a different experience and that, that hits differently. Mm. So the, it's going to just have to take an entirely different look. And that article also talks about mentoring um, mm -hmm. adults, taking a genuine, I say adults, many of these young people are adults, but older adults taking a genuine interest in them. I just think the whole concept of what it means to um, be in relationship as the church mm. is going to have to look different or they're just not going to play. And I yep. think that's a good thing because the donut ministry days are over. You know, I don't, mm -hmm. <laughs> I just don't think that's where it's at. Rest in peace, donut ministry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Although I do still believe in food. As Amen. A yes. 
Yes. Gathering. Always a great way to gather. But yeah, the the buffet, yeah, of sweets and yeah. Yes. What does it mean to actually welcome people? What is it, um, which includes, but doesn't, but isn't limited to food. I think table mm. fellowship is a really interesting, the fact that we are supposed to meet Jesus around the communion table every Sunday. That's a really interesting theological thing that we, mm-hmm. that we have to share. And, um, the fact that, um, I think as humans were hardwired, dare I say, created to, connect with each other over meals. I mean, that's, that's just a whole other thing, but then you get beyond food to the whole idea of, um, what does it mean to welcome Mm -hmm. the other and, Mm -hmm. um, we're all the other. So I don't know that, but I think that that could inform some of the ways that we do church in the future. We could start donut ministry. Elsewhere. It's all about the donuts. I, until, I didn't know it was a thing until Jen put a label on it. And now I can't, I kind of like, can't stop thinking about it. Yeah. I'm like, I'm kind anything, of anything is Christian. If you put the word ministry after it. So Kim already mentioned the, the one stat that our next question is related to that 69% of this generation says that they're lonely. Um, in addition to that anxiety, depression, and suicide rates have doubled in the last 15 years among young people. And since COVID, local counselors report so many young people seeking treatment that there is a six month waiting list or longer. Um, So we wanted to ask about mental health. So our next question was, what are some helpful activities or practices that a church could offer to encourage your mental health? I'll just note that on two different answers was either mentor or mentorship on two very, which I thought was the first time I read mentorship. I thought, Hmm, I'm I'm trying to make the connection to mental health and mentorship. And then someone else said it and I'm like, Hmm, there must be something Mm -hmm. here. Just an observation. I have no conclusions, conclusion on that, but this kind of interesting. I think as we're talking about these questions back to back, uh, when we're talking about the welcoming and it's like, oh, about being known. And now we're talking about the mental health and the mental health answers are so varied. They sound like every church leadership ministries brainstorm meeting about what we should do at church. Like they really, <laughs> they really nailed everything that you want, right? Like yes. you want like seminars and small group and mentorship and like things that are fun that, you know, aren't mm-hmm. barbecue. Yeah. All these things. I'm like, that's great. I'm like that. And that to me, I think I, as I'm reading it, um, not that I'm like mentally checking off the boxes for myself in my own ministry, because we do do a lot of those things, but I, I think we're trying to paint a bigger picture here. And so from the welcome, you're like, Oh, being known. And then a lot of these activities mm-hmm. that, they don't have anything to do with like please teach me a seminar on like your like um like end time theology like no one put that as an answer not that i'm disappointed or surprised but i'm just saying in fact somebody said stop stop telling us we're going to hell exactly actually said that would help my mental health if you would stop telling me (laughs) i'm going to hell i know for that person we pray for you uh, I mean, sorry. it helps all of our mental health. Oh, actually, though, Amen. yeah, same. We're Amen, like, yes, friend. also here. 
<laughs> but what I'm seeing is, oh, between being known and doing things with people who care about you sounds like a great definition of doing life with people. And in that regard, mm -hmm. if you're a ministry that's been wanting to do life or that's what you say your ministry does in that way, that's what Gen Z wants as well. I think, mm -hmm. you know, we're circling back our terms, our wording, our presentation. We might not vibe with that. We might not understand, you know no one at this barbecue is like talking or like why does no one like play disc golf with me we you know we might have differences there but at the heart of it we all just want to do life with each other yeah yeah I, I think another thing that jumped out at me from the answers you know this generation as well as all of us I think have grown in our understanding of mental health the prevalence of some of these issues um the presence of trauma naming trauma um I saw several people saying, please don't give us the church answers. Please don't say, give it up to God. Please don't say, just pray about it. Not because we're against prayer or we don't want to give it up to God, but it's not, that's not adequate. I think there's a greater understanding that just mm -hmm. as this generation is experiencing or feels like they are experiencing more mental health issues, there's also more um, education about it. Mm -hmm. And so, um, thank goodness we're past the stage, or at least I think many Christians are past the stage where therapy or that kind of thing is seen as um, sinful at worst or frivolous at best, right? I mean, fortunately, I think more and more people are understanding that that can be and is um, not just a helpful part of our mental health, but it can actually be part of spiritual formation and soul care. Mm -hmm. Hey, this is Jane, just popping in to acknowledge that as we've been talking about mental health concerns, we just want to encourage you, our listeners, to seek out a mental health care provider or a friend to talk to if you're struggling. Also, we are on the search for budding theologians to write a piece for our website. Send me a text or message me through the website at girlstalkingchurch.com. Okay, back to the conversation. Like, we know that Jesus is the answer, but that can take a lot of forms. And I think we've limited yeah. the forms and it doesn't have to be that way. It can be Jesus and therapy. It can be Jesus mm -hmm. and mentoring. It can be Jesus and community. This is a total aside, but I think apparently either Jackie Hill Perry or her husband has a merch line and there is a hoodie that says Jesus and therapy. It's very, it's a very beautiful cream color. <laughs> if anyone's interested in that. Nice. Yeah. Maybe. I was relieved to see the acknowledgement and call for assistance with real therapy instead of yeah. I, I think a generation ago your pastor was your therapist you know you would go for pastoral counseling to the pastor you wanted good sermons and teaching from that person um they were uh you know to help you with material needs I mean the pastor wore like so many hats and I think it's beautiful that over and over again in the answers to this question they were like you know, subsidize it, real therapy, because therapy is expensive mm. <laughs> and sometimes mm -hmm. not covered by insurance. So subsidize real actual therapy. I don't just want to, you know, no insult to the pastor, but I don't just want to talk to the pastor. I right. want an actual therapist. To Jen's point, there were at least two uh, responses about, um, one was that they would hear more about mental health issues from the front, from the pulpit, mm -hmm. that the pastor is just normalizing that yep. language that is wise um, about going to your pastor for therapy. Uh, you know, maybe in, in generations past, 
but not that the pastor wore all the hats, but it was a way to contain the issue or the concern, right? So-and-so has mental health issues. So meet with a pastor so we can kind of keep it, you know, um, under wraps because the pastor's, you know, he's not going to, he or she's not going to tell anyone. Mm. Um, and even worse, you know, when, when the pastor is doing counseling for different kinds of abuse happening in the church, when really that should ex extend out to some professional counseling. So my, my flags go up a little bit. I don't think it's necessarily completely fair to say that that's what's going on, but I think there is some sense of, you know, let's preserve the faith. Let's mm. preserve the institution. Let's pre preserve the church mm. by keeping it contained to just the pastor. So I'm a little, I'm just a little leery on that. Mm -hmm. Suspicious. I think it was interesting that there was such a mix about counseling. Some people were like, provide more counseling. Like we want to be able to talk to our leadership. And there's the other extreme that was like, please don't talk to us. Please just refer us to a specialist that's not you. Thank you so much. <laughs> so that was, I feel like I saw like a little bit of both for the people who do mention counseling. And I think, um, I always feel like every time we record an episode, I'm like fresh off of a class that's very relevant <laughs> to whatever we're talking about. So I just finished a class, class on both pastoral counseling and psychopathology. Mm. So two for two for one there. And in this, I think what I see is that, or what I'm hearing is that one, I think there's a place for pastoral counseling, but both people mm -hmm. who are members and people who are doing the counseling in your ministry need to have the both knowledge and humility to know when this is like above what you know, and that the best and most loving and caring thing to do is to provide those avenues to get the people the help that they need and having those avenues in place already and having the knowledge to walk them through and to still be a part of that process as much as they would like to. Um, even being aware of like what partnerships you have, what networks you're part of. Uh, not every Christian counseling network is created equal or maybe um, is, is what you're looking for. And so to me, I just see that one, the awareness, uh, the desire. And I think now kind of looking at it, what mental health, like we have a lot at our disposal. So why not use all of it possible? Mm-hmm. One more thing that I picked up on a couple of responders uh, referenced grief. What, how do, how was the question phrased? What, oh, I have it right here. What are some helpful activities or practices a church could offer to encourage your mental health? Uh, so someone said, said mm -hmm. space to grieve within community and without fear of judgment. Uh, someone else used the word lamentation, which I thought was fascinating. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So maybe to lament and to grieve together yeah is a practice which we you know we don't do well you know right it's like you know how do you how does the evangelical church celebrate holy week we skip it from palm sunday to resurrection sunday no we do an easter egg hunt <laughs> right yes and there's yes, donut ministry do. afterwards <laughs> i'm gonna get you a t-shirt if we have a good Friday I'm the service. donut ministry lady. <laughs> if we do have a good Friday service, it's like super quick, right? And then yeah, we, yeah. we get all cheery right after the service. Yeah, because we don't want to linger with Jesus on the cross too long. That's right. That's for the Catholics. Jesus is on the cross, cross for the Catholics, not for the Protestants. <laughs> <laughs> 
There's your pull quote. There's your tagline for the episode. <laughs> Just turn it into a hashtag. It's a really long hashtag. <laughs> oh All right. Gosh. This might be a good time to move on to the next question. <laughs> hashtag donut ministry. <laughs> I want that as a shirt now. Lord. I kind of want it. And like only we'll know. Only us and our listeners will know what donut ministry is really about. If we ever get to the point where we're having live events, like if this ever takes off to where we're like doing a <laughs> podcast in person, or two things. One, we're totally having tables of donuts. Totally. And two, we're all going to wear those t-shirts. <laughs> Chris, I have lost right. control of this episode. <laughs> no, Chris, Anthony, we're having a great time. Wait, wait, I have one last relevant point to this one before we can actually move on. Can I, can I okay. circle back to Jane's point about grief? I'm so sorry about grief. And so one, I think, um, you know, when Jane pointed out that so many, not so many, a handful of responses were about grief and lamenting, what I realized is one, that actually makes so much sense for a generation that has undergone things that are beyond their control. And as much as they try mm-hmm. to make a change, you even with the best of intentions and all of your awareness and skills, you hit a wall right? That is the nature of a fallen world, that all of your activism only mm. goes so far. And then there is still brokenness and there's pain and hurting. And what do you do with all of that when you've given it your A plus effort? And that's what grief and like lamentation is for. But what I realize is that even in my own um, like circles and communities, I don't think that my pastors and my leaders have even learned grief and lamenting until maybe in the past eight years. You know, and these are men and women in their early 50s. And so to that, I say, yeah, like, for sure, like, Gen Z, you are on to something. Absolutely. that Not just you want to learn how to grieve and lament well, but this is, that is biblical and it is good. And that is something we all need. So hats mm-hmm. off to you. That is fabulous. There are places to grieve alone, solo. But where are the spaces that we create to grieve in community? And it is in our religious spaces. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's part of the function and purpose of religious practices, that we can do that. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Hey, thanks for being a part of our listening community at Shaklesiology. We would love to hear your ideas for future podcast topics. What do you think are the pressing issues facing the church today that women need to be talking about. You can send your topics to ideas at girlstalkingchurch.com. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.